The message today is entitled, Be the Change. For the past three days, my wife Nancy and I attended a huge conference in Kalamazoo for one of the top service organizations in the entire world. Their mission is to bless communities, to meet needs, to remain unpolitical, to work together with others, to raise up leaders, to fund initiatives for education, mental and physical health, and mentor the next generation. Their motto this year is to create hope in the world. Does anybody know what organization I'm talking about? Are a lot of people saying Rotary? Well, it is. That's the conference we went to. It's a great organization that Nancy and I are part of here in Roscommon. In fact, Nancy is the president-elect for the coming year. But the point I want to make is not that Rotary is a life-changing, world-leading, and well-known organization for serving others. My question is, why didn't every one of you, or even one of you, assume that I was talking about the body of Christ? Aren't we supposed to selflessly lead the way, healing the sick, bringing our hope to the oppressed, to the oppressed, comforting the downtrodden, meeting all the needs of our communities, connecting people, working together, raising up leaders, and pouring into our youth? Sure, there are ministries here and there at various churches, but not a lot of cooperation between different churches within the Christian faith around the world. And the differences don't just exist across denominational lines. There's also great divisions within denominations. There's different associations of Baptists. There's different synods of Lutherans. There's different doctrines for Methodists. In fact, there's often major differences from one congregational church to the next. The point is that the Holy Spirit was sent to empower believers so that the Christian church could truly be the light of the world to all those in need of hope. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, you, speaking to us, the church, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what the church is supposed to be in the world working together to shine His light, to declare His glory among the nations, shining light in the darkness and giving hope to the world. But as Christians, oftentimes, as a church in general, we can't get out of our own way to let Jesus truly be the light of the world today. So what makes Rotary the leading service organization that is around the, that it is around the world? Well, one of their main rules is that each person leaves their self-labels at the door. Whether they are Republican or Democrat, whether they are conservative or liberal, whether they are an executive, a boss, a teacher, a plumber, or a retiree, 
inside their club meetings and their club outreaches, they are simply all Rotarians working together for the greater good. Isn't that what the body of Christ is supposed to be? Are we not supposed to leave our societal and our self-labels at the door? In here, we are all Christians. We are all part of the family of God. In here, we instill hope from the one who gave us hope. In here, we put others' needs above ours. In here, we extend mercy and grace and forgiveness. In here, we speak the truth in love. In here, we are one body. But it can't just exist in here. We need to change our perspective of what church means. It's not about the building. It's not about the denomination or the doctrine. It's not about the committees or the board or the meetings. It's not about a place you go to. It is the body of Christ working together to meet practical needs, to instill hope, to demonstrate forgiveness, to break shame and doubt and fear, and to give Jesus to the world. We need to be the leader in teaching people about love. True love. How do we do that? Well, first we need to all get on the same page. Before we can understand love, we need to know what is not love. So I ask you this question. What's the opposite of love? Anybody know? A lot of people, I heard a lot of people saying hate, a lot of people saying fear. Actually, that's not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is apathy. Indifference. A state where one just doesn't care. Apathy happens when people are not moved by the needs of others different than themselves. They don't take time for others. They get annoyed when others are demanding of their time or attention, which might affect their agenda or their schedule. They have little or no willingness to show empathy or interest in others, especially those different from themselves. If apathy took hold in any individual Club, Rotary would cease to exist. So clubs all over the world find local and world missions and get involved somewhere while collectively supporting the mission everywhere. It's a massive, massive task to change the world. But they set out to do so one task at a time, living by this premise. If you wait until you can do everything for everybody instead of something for somebody, you will do nothing for nobody. To keep apathy at bay, every one of us needs to begin somewhere with someone. It's not about us. It's about God's kingdom. In fact, we are all commanded to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will take care of us. God will add to us what we need if we take care of what's important to Him. Yet apathy often slips in a slightly open door when we don't even realize it. Apathy grows within a church, or within the church in general, when a need goes out for prayer and people don't take this need to God. 
because they're busy or because it's just not a priority for them or someone else will do it or they don't believe in the true power of prayer. I know many years ago I was getting attacked with not praying for things and God gave me like a vision. And uh, he showed, it kind of showed this vision to me where I was up against the enemy who just seemed to be so, so big. And I kept hearing this voice to pull out that sword, the sword of the Spirit to defeat the enemy. But what was happening to me is the enemy was not only oppressing me, but he was trying to convince me that all I had in my back pocket was not a sword, but a spork. You know what sporks are? Those plastic things they give in the cafeteria that tell you to eat your lunch with? You can't eat your lunch. How are you going to defeat the enemy, defeat the enemy in your face? And so the, the enemy tries to convince you that prayer is nothing. You just, words that are floating off to nowhere, that it has no power. And if you think that all you have is a spork in your back pocket, you're not going to go head toe to toe with the enemy and pray and intercede. Until God tells you that what you have, prayer, is, the, is a mighty weapon of God. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're, they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's what 2 Corinthians tells us. And yet if you don't believe in the power of prayer, you won't use it when someone says they have, there's a need for prayer. To people who have great needs, that fight great battles and are under great attacks, they absolutely rely on the prayers of others. Just speaking for myself, as your pastor, I come under great attacks on all sides as I continue to follow the calling on my life. I greatly appreciate all your prayers for Nancy and I and our family. We rely on your prayers and are greatly thankful for every single one of them at any time of the day or night. Prayer is so vitally important in the life of a, church, of a church and its members. And it's something that all of us can do and are called to do. If we truly love God and we love one another as God commands us to do. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, to help in time of need. See, we are commanded to come boldly to the throne of grace. This means that we are coming to God in prayer, not just for us. It doesn't say to come to Him in our time of need, but simply in time of need. We must be willing to take others' needs before the throne and to do so boldly. But boldly coming to Him means doing so with confidence, knowing that He hears us as the Word tells us, and making it a priority to come to Him asking for His mercy and His grace. Intercessory prayer is interceding for someone else, standing in the gap for them when they do not have the strength to stand, bringing someone else's needs before the throne of God. Believe in that God will indeed extend His grace and mercy to help them in their time of need. Intercessory prayer, praying for others, is the antidote for apathy. Which means when apathy is gone, then love thrives. That's what we are called to be as the church. 
For indeed, Jesus Christ demonstrates true love for us. John 15.13 Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. We were dead in our sins. We could not reach heaven on our own no matter how good we thought we could be. Thank God that Jesus didn't get stuck in apathy. He didn't turn a blind eye to us and shame us. He didn't say to us, you made your bed, now lie in it. He didn't give up on us. Rather, He was led by compassion. The Bible says He was moved with compassion. And His desire to demonstrate the greatest love of all. Sacrificial love. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, the Son of God, laid down His perfect life for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. He took the price, the, the punishment that we deserved. He took our sins upon His back and placed His grace upon us so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be redeemed. This is love. This is the love that the church needs to teach. And He did it all for us so that we could spend an eternity with Him and with everyone else who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what love is. This is who Jesus is. But what about the church? How do we get on the same page as a church all over the world? What's the connection biblically and what is our purpose? Colossians 1.18 And Christ is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have preeminence. Jesus, simply put, is the head of the church. Why? Because He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. This means that the church is the body of believers who are born again. Not just those who come and gather and join a club, but who have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus has made. They have repented and acknowledged of their sins, and they've turned to trust Jesus with their lives, and that they are born again. The church is made up of those who have died to their sins, died to themselves, died to their selfish desires, and have been born again, not of their own will, but of the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No matter how good you think you are, you cannot see God unless you are born of the Spirit. This is the mystery of our faith. That Jesus died for us. And then He rose again so that we could have new life in Him. Being born again through the power of His name. That we no longer live for ourselves, being led by our flesh. That we live for God and for His kingdom and being led by the Spirit. And what a life that is. If the church of today is going to be the standard bearer of love, 
then we need to demonstrate that we do indeed care. How do we do this? Well, I think one thing we need to stop doing is saying, I'll pray for you when someone shares a need and then just walk away. Instead, we need to open our mouths and pray with them right then and there, if at all possible. We need to listen to that person without judgment, validating their feelings, giving them encouragement, and sharing the hope that we have in Jesus. Then we need to go to God in prayer ourselves, asking Him what we can do to help, to come alongside someone, to be their friend, to offer a shoulder, to get our hands dirty, to stand with them and walk with them until they are securely in His hands. But this takes us leading with compassion, just like Jesus, the head of the church. Matthew 9.36 But when Jesus saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw the needs of others who were lost, who had no direction, who were looking for help, He didn't pass it by and figure that the world would give them help because you know right now the world is leading people in the opposite direction. Jesus did not hesitate to get His hands dirty. He didn't question whether or not He should get involved. He didn't weigh the pros and cons or check His schedule to see if He could fit them in. He was moved with compassion and stepped into their lives and brought truth and healing and love in practical ways to lead them out of their darkness. This is Jesus, the head of the church, the head of the body. This is what we are all called to do. Christianity is not merely a state of being. It is a state of doing. If we are truly following Jesus, then we must be moved with compassion to come alongside others to be His hands and His feet in the world. We must willingly seek opportunities to stand with our brothers and sisters. To get involved in the lives of others. To get into our schools. To get into our neighborhoods. To get into our businesses and places of work. We need to be Jesus out there, not just in here. We need to get involved in their lives and extend grace and love of Jesus. We must be the church every day of the week. That is what Jesus has called us to do. But we must do so with the right motivation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This beautiful truth in the Word tells us that there's nothing that any of us can do to earn favor with God. Nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. It is only by grace that we are saved and called children of God. What is grace? Well, if you look at the acronym, G-R-A-C-E, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. 
We get all the stuff that God has, and He paid the expense for it. He paid the punishment for it. We don't deserve it. We just receive it by grace. We have access to eternal life not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what Jesus did for us. You see, if that's the message we take out to the world, we're not telling people you have to get all fixed up first. You have to change all this first. No, just come to Jesus acknowledging that you need help, acknowledging that you have pursued the wrong things in life, and now is your time you're pursuing Jesus, and Jesus will bring them to a place of, of extending grace to them. Therefore, the good works that we do are not for show. They're not for attention. They're not for boasting. They're not to give us another feather in our cap with God. They're not for manipulation of others. There is no limit to what can be done when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. If the church really operated like that all around the world, we would be that vibrant hope of the world in every community. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us in Christ Jesus with good works in mind. You see, before we ever came to Christ, before we were ever forgiven, before we were ever saved and redeemed, God set before each one of us good works to walk in as we follow Him. It's by God's design that He brings people across each of our paths so that we can be Jesus to them. It's not a coincidence when you come across someone who is in need of compassion without judgment. God set that in your path. It's not a coincidence when you come across someone who is in need of direction without condescension. Or in someone who is in need of comfort without hesitation. God ordained that crossing of your path in your life before you ever came to know Him. Before you ever knew Jesus, He knew you. And He prepared the good works that lay before you even now, the good works that lay before you today and this week. He had already put that in your path. So when you follow Jesus, you're following His path that He created for you to do the good works that He entrusted to your care. And when you are the one in need of comfort, when you are the one in pain, in need of understanding, in need of grace and of healing and of love, understand that God has already designed your path as well. There are no coincidences, but rather divine appointments. Opportunities that God ordains as He strategically puts people, someone in your path who has the heart and the faith, and the love, and the willingness, and the time to be Jesus to you. That's why we don't just call Him God. We call Him Father. It's because He loves us as children. You know this. A good father always has time for his children. A good father invests into time and opportunities with their children. God is our eternal Father. He always has time for us. He never stops moving in our lives. 
continually orchestrating the movement of the body to meet the needs of one another. And now He has called us as the church to share that message with the world, to bring hope and healing and truth. If we simply understood this and stopped trying to make a name for our individual churches, stop posturing one denomination above another, stop manipulating others through serving, and just walked in the path that He has designed for us, the church would be known all over as the number one service organization in the world, meeting the needs of people by the love of Jesus in truth and in grace. We would be recognized by everyone as the place that people turn to in all situations when people are oppressed, depressed, in despair, in sorrow, in desperation, lost, confused, addicted, hurt, without direction and without hope. Everyone would be coming to the church as the only hope because we have Jesus Christ who is the hope of the world. We would be recognized by everyone as a place of hope. This, after all, is how God originally set the church in motion after the resurrection of Jesus Christ when the church started. He actually gave us a mission with very simple directions to follow, and yet we've made things too confusing. But this is how God had the church in mind when He started the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. That's it. Those four simple things, that's it. The early church was not bogged down by meetings and committees and boards and programs. They simply continued in four practical ways to be the body of Christ. First, they taught the uncompromising Word of God, the Apostles' Doctrine. Their teaching was not about opinions or feelings. There was absolute power and authority in preaching and studying the Word of God. Second, they made fellowship with one another an absolute priority. This meant that they spent time with one another, getting to know them each individually, sharing their lives, their concerns, and their interests. They enjoyed one another. They rejoiced with them. They mourned with them. And they continued to have fellowship with them in all that they did. Fellowship is such an important part of the church. It must be deliberate and treated as a priority, not an afterthought. Not something that we only do if we can find the time because we're just so busy in our lives. From the very beginning, fellowship was one of the four main ingredients of a successful church. And they made it a priority to fellowship with others more people wanted to join them. Desiring that personal touch, lurking for that individual care, simply because getting connected with others was vital to them, as it still is to all of us today. Third thing, they broke bread from house to house. 
They ate with one another as Christ had taught them. They turned their meals into times of thanksgiving to God for all He had done and all He was continuing to do. And you know what? They didn't worry about how their houses looked. They didn't worry about how well their tables were set. They didn't worry about how dirty their floors might be or their walls. Their attention was on each other, not on what they did or did not have. They started a contagious movement to go to one another, visiting face to face, letting down their guard, opening their homes and their hearts, sharing a meal, and being open to any question that others had about Jesus. The fourth thing, the last but not the least, they devoted themselves to prayer for one another. You see, when you get involved in the lives of others, when you make it a priority to have fellowship with them, when you become easily approachable and easily accessible to others, you become aware of their needs so you know how to pray for each one. All these facets of the early church allowed them to take their requests immediately and boldly to the throne of grace to pray for one another and to come into the presence of God. This is exactly how God designed the church to function. It's not hard. It just takes us changing our priorities to be in salt and light in the world and to be the church out there. And notice what happens when we are running and firing on all four cylinders. Acts 2.43 Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You see, as they kept these priorities, the immediate result was that many signs and wonders were done. People were being healed. People were being set free, confirming the Word of God. They didn't set out to do miracles. They set out to be the church, to represent Jesus to the world. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God brought healing to all who received Jesus by faith. Verse 44, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. This unity happened as a natural outcome of spending time with one another in the life of the early church. The love of God transcended their teaching, their fellowship, their dinners, and their prayers. And they came naturally, supernaturally into unity by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have to beg for resources or state their causes. Everyone came together and supported each other with their time and their talents and their treasures. This is how the church was designed to function. To be the resource for its body, for its community, and beyond. God designed the church to be the hope of the world. To all who came looking for help. Through this effort, people searching for hope realized that Jesus could truly meet all their needs. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity in heart, 
It doesn't take a pastor to do that. It doesn't take an evangelist or a seminarian to do that. It takes someone who realizes that Jesus has saved me and he is my hope to eat our food with gladness and simplicity of heart. The only thing difficult about replicating this success of the early church is that we have to be willing to seek God above our traditions. Seek to be more consistent in what we do and get involved in the lives of others. They eat their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Do you know what that means? They made a priority when they got together, when they ate, when they spent time with one another, they made it a priority not to complain. Not to look out the world and say how bad it is, but to look at Jesus and say how good He is. They made it a priority to be thankful for all that God had done and was continuing to do. They didn't waste time in debates and divided opinions. They had a simplicity of heart and enjoyed the here and now of each moment with one another. They didn't worry about tomorrow because they knew that God would take care of them as they took care of one another. And notice what happened as a result of these simple things that they were doing. Verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. They praised God unconditionally in all situations, and God gave them favor with all people. And simply because they obeyed God in these basic ways, the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. You see, they didn't need an evangelization plan. They didn't need a promotions committee. They didn't need special programs to try to attract new people. They simply became the living body of Christ's love and truth. And God added to their number thousands of people who were being saved. That is how God has designed us as His church in the world today. That is our mission. To trust Him. To love one another. To step into people's lives. To teach the truth of the Word. And to leave the results to Him. Let us be the change in the world today. Let us resurrect the church that Jesus has called us to be. Let us be Jesus to the world around us. What is your prayer today? Is If your prayer is, God, take my life and use it for your glory. I give you all that I am right now, God, and use me. Give me that purpose. Give me that light to take it to a people that needs hope right now. I pray as you reflect on whatever that prayer might be for you to God, that this word would speak to your heart this day. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word. It's planted in our heart. Lord God, we pray that that seed planted this day would take root, that it would bear fruit, that it would cause us to give our lives to You so that we can be this church that You've designed it to be, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. A light that's not hidden under a basket, but shines in the darkness, pointing the way to Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. 
Lord God, bless us as we continue to seek you. We seek to be the change by Jesus Christ's love and grace and truth in this world today. Send us forth in your power and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.